Stephen Palmer's Hairy London, episode 12. With that, they crept through drifts of hair-entwined foxgloves to the southern extremity of the glasshouse, where Eustatia repraised their options. A single door labelled Angloside Zone seemed their best bet, and a minute later they had slipped through it and were hiding behind a jacaranda. Estatia listened to the distant voices. Downing Street, Kinti Kotai. How far is Downing Street? Mary Chori Kuntai. Estatia gasped. I think that was Gandhi. I recognize his voice. He said he'd been robbed. Krakos. Four Kos? That's about nine miles. Nine Chanti Didok Downing Street Jadwaga Hun. I'm going to Downing Street in three weeks, he says. Cornucope, Gandhi means to assault the government itself. We must warn Lord Blandhubble. Write him another letter. Estatia took out a slip of paper and pencil at once. Gandhi planning an assault on Downing Street. Indus gathering in Kew Gardens. We'll investigate and write again when we know more details. E and K, W. To this message, she affixed a first-class stamp before posting it. There was a rustle in the foliage behind her, and she turned to see four men spring out from a clump of glass mistletoe. Their leader was a small man in round-lens spectacles and a dhoti, whose hands had been replaced with, on the left, a clump of tentacles, and on the right, a crab claw. Gandhi! He stared at them. Good evening, strangers, he said. To his companions, he said, Guards, search them for weapons. This done, Gandhi approached. Estatia pressed her palms together and said, Namaste, then added, What do you want with us? He replied, I am Nohandas Karamchand Gandhi, and you, I suspect, are spies. I want information out of you, and I will do anything to get it. Guards! Take them to the Venus flytrap chamber. Valentina thought they may have crash-landed in Archbishop's Park, close to Lambeth Palace, but, she said, she was not sure. Harry London looked different from the air, with only the river as a guide, and as they fell from the sky, she'd lost her bearings. Jeremy listened to her as they watched the darky faces moving around the Selenowiz like curious cats. Damn, this was tricky. He said, Should we stay inside? Perhaps they'll get bored of us and go. She nodded. Stay quiet for now. Let us see what they do. Jeremy watched and waited. There were five of the natives, three men and two women, all of them naked, all of them bald, carrying bows and arrows. The men brandishing assegais, all five of them decorated with fabric armbands and straw waist belts. They spoke to one another in a non-English language that he did not recognize. They looked confident, dangerous. Then one of the women turned to the gullwing door handle and the door swung upwards. She grinned. 
In halting style, she said, You come out now. With a sinking heart, Jeremy disembarked, standing quiet while Valentina followed suit. Who are you? he asked. Where do you come from? Foxhall, she said. This is now our tribal land. You come with us. You're taking us prisoner, he replied. Why? We've done nothing wrong. You shut up, Poshman. You in our land now. We make you become like us. Good fun. They had no choice but to surrender. Sheremy whispered to Valentina. What do you think she meant by make us become like them? Valentina shrugged. I hope they are not going to eat us. Worried, Sheremy considered this notion. Surely these people were ordinary darkies. Servants, most likely, formerly in the houses of Britishers. How could they have reverted to tribal moors so quickly? Was this part of the baleful influence of the hare? He felt his heart beat fast as he pondered the fate lying before him. Lord Blackenor was a decent cove, and he was the secretary of the Suicide Club. Why were these people so different? At least they speak our lingo, he said. That'll make it easier for us to bargain with them. Have you got any bright, sparkly jewels on your person? Valentina shook her head, a mournful expression on her face. As they walked on through the moon-limbed hair of Lambeth Walk, for such it was, Jeremy noticed that the tribespeople were not as restricted in their movements as ordinary folk. Considering their state of undress, he noticed that both men and women shaved their armpits, bodies, and indeed, their nether regions. It had been quite a shock for him to see women bald, but more so was the sight of their drimes, lacking the appurtenance of pubicity. He shuddered. Damn tribal customs, no doubt. A terrible state of affairs, and most unnatural. At the coalboard offices on Glasshouse Walk they stopped, one of the men uttering a whoop before leading them inside the building. The place, formerly meeting rooms and the like, had been ripped to pieces, creating a maze of chambers, caves almost, in which a great number of darkies and even a few Britishers lived. Jeremy saw Hindus also, and a Red Indian, all of them naked, like natives of the African interior. He stopped, and in a loud voice said, Why exactly have you people brought us here? We mean you no harm. Our vehicle was accidentally... Shut up! You increase the tribe, make it stronger. Then we take over south of the river, make big land, all for us, hunt lice. Jeremy took Valentina's hand in his and said, We have our answer, my dear. They mean to induct us into their tribe. I'm afraid it's drums and dancing for us now. Who is that man over there? He is staring at us. Jeremy looked. The white man Valentina had noticed had a familiar face, but seeing him bald and naked, Jeremy could not bring his family to mind. Familiar, he murmured, but no more than that. Looks like one of Lord Offal's brats. I think he's staring at you, Valentina said. Perhaps he recognizes you. Jeremy nodded. Could be one of the runners I work with on expeditions. I don't know. 
Don't stare back at him, Jeremy. It could give his position away. Jeremy shrugged. Looks like he's gone totally native to me. He glanced at Valentina and said, My dear, what are we going to do? The thought of you in all this pickle makes me angry. You're a good woman and don't deserve this. Jeremy, you speak from the heart and you are a good man. Jeremy felt his heart thump as she said this. He realized he entertained feelings for her, warm feelings. She was a wonderful woman. We'll get out of this, don't you worry, he said. You'll shut up, one of the tribal men barked. Follow us now. Jeremy scowled. You, sir, are an absolute Barclay hunt. They were led into a side chamber from which a number of corridors branched off. A fire burned in the center of this chamber, which was filled with desks, chairs and tables. A few tribespeople wandered around, but the main occupant was a tall, darky, wearing chieftain headgear, feathers and straw. Sheremy said, What do you intend doing with us, chief? We've got jewels and much money. The old chieftain thumped his assegai upon the floor. We not need jewels. We need people. Make tribe big and strong. Now take off your clothes. What, sir? A Britisher never removes his clothes before a lady. Do as you're told or head bashed in. Blood sacrifice. Jeremy quailed. To Valentina he whispered, My dear, I'm so sorry, but it looks like I've got no choice. Be strong. We will survive, Valentina said. She appeared anxious but not frightened. Jeremy thought another example of her courage. Slowly they undressed. The chieftain watched, a leer on his face. Jeremy vowed not to glance at Valentina as her corset and lace netheries appeared, but as she stood in her bassoumpierre and pantette, he could not resist. To see her glorious womanly figure in all its voluptuous charm. He, by comparison, seemed scrawny, if athletic. He began to wonder what she saw in him. Then they stood entirely naked. Jeremy said, with all the menace he could muster, What now, you black-hearted devil? You've had your fun. Now beat your drums, chant your silly chants, and have done with it, what? The chieftain took shaving gear from the desk at his side. You hairless, move more swift through hair outside. Then part of Vauxhall tribe. Never, you hear? The chieftain began mixing soap and water in a brass catch-all. A number of shaving brushes and razoranda lay nearby. But then there came a loud bang that echoed like a gunshot around the chamber. Jeremy jumped, turned, and saw at the mouth of one of the corridors a gesturing figure. The white man Valentina had noticed. What was he doing? Valentina grabbed his hand and ran towards the corridor, dragging him with her. The chieftain growled a curse and threw his assegai, but missed. The white man threw two coal sacks at them, which they caught. Then he ran off, crying, follow me. They followed, their flight chaotic through half-lit corridors, the sound of drums, screams and yells behind them. 
Briefly, they paused to put on the Colsacks, which they wore like baggy coats. Then the white man turned and shook Jeremy by the hand. Digglesby string awful at your service, he said. Digglesby? Sir, Digglesby wailed. I couldn't bear to see a pantomime humiliated so. You, a member of the suicide club and all? By Jove, Jeremy said. This lad's father had been one of the founders of the Suicide Club before the Patagonian Gigor got him. No shoes, I'm afraid, Digglesby said. But there's no time for luxuries. Where are you taking us? The underground, sir. We may yet make it. Now, hurry. On and on they ran through the labyrinthine corridors, stairways and chambers of the cobalt building until they stood clammy and panting in a cellar. A single candle on a stick illuminated the bare chamber. This is where you're on your own, Digglesby explained. We made a doorway here that leads into the Vauxhall Underground Station service shaft. There's a ladder, a very long and precipitous ladder. I do so hope you can make it, sir, and your lady too. I've climbed the steaming ladder of the moon, Valentina replied, her voice firm. Come along, Jeremy. Steps and ladders hold no terrors for me. Good luck, sir, Digglesby said. Jeremy shook him by the hand. There were tears in both their eyes. Decent family, the string offals. And good luck to you, lad, he said. If you ever get out of this place alive, there'll be a medal for you. Damn, I'll see to it myself. Thank you, sir. Digglesby operated the doorway by pushing on a stone. Valentina led the way out of the cellar, leaning out into the brick-clad chimney that was the service shaft, rotating her body, then placing her feet on the upper rungs of the ladder. Jeremy shuddered. The shaft was three feet wide. A cold breeze blew up. When Valentina had descended a few yards, he followed her, and then the door above him slammed shut, he hung in complete darkness. His stomach rumbled. Are you secure down there, my dear? He called. Her voice became faint. She had already descended some distance. Hurry along, Jeremy. He climbed down as best he could. The descent seemed to take hours. It was a living hell for him, but, buoyed by Valentina, he managed it. Then... I see a light below, Jeremy. A couple of minutes later, he stood in a tunnel, rails upon the ground, a cool breeze blowing in his face, the reverberated noise of thuds and distant voices in his ears. We made it, he said. From an alcove, an old man in a blue uniform appeared. Uh, Tickets, please, he said. Jeremy approached the old man. But we've clambered down from all tickets please but we've had no opportunity to purchase any the old man tutted shaking his head you can't come on the underground without a ticket mate but lordy me i suppose i'll have to write you a chit yes 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 Jeremy said write us a chit but we've got no money the old man raised his gaze to the ceiling and chuckled if I had a farthing for every bleeding time I heard that one. Valentina took a ring off her finger and handed it over. 
That will pay for us to travel to Parisian back, she said. Yeah, well, we ain't got no link with the metro just yet, love. Napoleon's plan didn't work out, and you heard. Don't you speak to my beloved like that, Jeremy said. Jeremy, Valentina gasped, staring at him. Jeremy shrugged. He cared not who knew of his feelings now. Here you go, mate, said the old man. You'll chip. You'll have to work it out with the governor as to paying it. Now clear off, the both of you. Jeremy grasped Valentina's hand and led her away. In the half-light of the tunnel they walked on, side by side, until he saw the ghostly hint of a station platform ahead. Turning to Valentina, he said, I believe I'm falling in love with you, Valentina. I just wanted you to know. She leaned forwards and kissed him. I think the feeling may be mutual, she replied. Velvine could not sleep. On the bedbug-ridden mattress he turned this way and that, unable to rid his mind of the images of the last few days. Tycho happy, eating chips and fishes, the sallow-faced man throwing a distressed Tycho, the protesters and their placards, and, worst of all, Lord Blackenor's grinning face. He sat up. Anger burned in his body. Lord Blackenor was so proud of the softness of the leather undergarments, so pleased with their distribution among the nobles of London, so keen to increase their uptake. No wonder... He was indeed a blackguard. You've been listening to Stephen Palmer's Hairy London, narrated by R.D. Watson. <laughs> <laughs>